Most of us at some point in our life have the responsibility of putting a resume together. Uh, Dylan this past week said, Justin, I need your resume for, uh, for this bank loan we're going to be applying for to get a building. And I was like, I don't even, I haven't done a resume in 14 years. And he said, well, I, I guess that's good. Um, but, we, but we all have this, this responsibility from time to time of putting a resume together and listing our accomplishments, what we're good at, our past job experiences. If you're applying for college, the clubs you've been a part of, the activities you've been in. And then what we do is we add a few references who will testify to what a wonderful person we are and what a great job we would do at whatever this is we're applying for. And we say, here I am. Here's my credentials. Please accept me and give me a job based on my resume. Accept me because of what I've accomplished. Uh, we do that with a job. We do that with other people as well, though. We want other people to accept us. So we come up with a variety of ways of getting other people to accept us. We come up with a variety of ways of kind of presenting our resume socially to others. We curate our Instagram feeds to create just the image that we want to present to the watching world. Uh, some of us rely on our appearance to get people to accept us, so we've got a lot tied up in how we look. For others of us, it may be our athletic achievements or our sense of humor. It may be our wealth and our possessions, so we accumulate things. It may be our social standing, so we want to make sure that we are in the right clubs and associations. It may be the things that you're mad about. Uh, some of us define ourselves by things we oppose, by the stands that we take, by the confidence that we're right. Uh, sin has left the world, in the words of Genesis, has left us naked and ashamed. And so because of that, we, we are constantly looking for ways to cover ourselves. We're looking for things that we can cling to for our righteousness, for our identity, for our resume. And so we're constantly creating resumes for ourselves so that I can feel better about me. And we're constantly creating resumes for other people so they'll feel better about me as well. And we bring that same sort of thinking into how we approach God. We try to assemble a resume so that God will accept us. Now, the reality of God's presence is a, is, is a reality that, that presses in on all of us. Some of us try to escape this, but we can never fully get away from it. It's always there pressing in on us. We know that certain things are wrong and certain things are right. We know that certain things are fair and certain things are not fair. We know that certain things are just and certain things are unjust. And we know that we haven't always done the right thing or the fair thing or the just thing. And so with that knowledge in the back of our minds, we are constantly trying to create ways to make sure we can know that we're going to be accepted by God. Now, one of the things that we try to do is we try to adjust our, our view of God. We try to adjust who God is. We try to define what he is like to kind of bring him down to our level. Uh, we try to define what he's like and what he requires in a way that actually suits our own desires. How do we do that? We might say something like, well, I believe in a God of love. I don't, I don't buy into this idea of a God of wrath. Are, I'm sure that at the end of the day, God's, God's love is going to overrule 
God's justice. Or, yeah, God may be perfect, but I'm not, and he's going to take that into account, and everything's going to be okay. But here's a problem with that way of thinking. You, you and I don't just get to decide what God is like. Um, we moved Jack in to NC State on Friday. We got done at about 545, and our car thermometer at 545 said it was 100 degrees in Raleigh. And I could not make it, I, I couldn't just say, well, I'm going to choose to believe that it is 55 degrees because I don't like the fact that it's 100 degrees. I can't do that. You and I can't do that. If, if, the, if the wide receiver on your favorite football team drops the pass and costs you the game, you can't just say, well, I choose to think of him catching that pass and winning the game for us. That's just not objective reality. That's not what actually happened no matter what you think. You can't just choose to think of your neighbor as someone loving who is always coming over to check on you and, and offer to do things for you when they're really a jerk. You just can't make people into something they're not because you choose to think of them in a certain way. And we can't do that with God. We can't just choose to think of God in the way that we choose to think of him. He has to show us what he is like. And once he shows us what he's like, we can't just say, well, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm just going to think of you in a different way. Uh, another thing that we try to do to make ourselves feel better about our spiritual resumes is that we are constantly comparing them to other people's. We define our morality and spirituality in terms of that of others. Well, no, I'm not perfect, but I haven't killed anybody. No, I'm not great, but at least I'm, I'm better than that guy. I'm saying all that to set this up. In the, in the parable we're about to read, there are two guys. And we're going to look at how they understood God and how they understood themselves. And, go, and we're going to see that the way they understood God and the way that they understood themselves affects the resume that they try to offer to God. And we're going to see God's reaction to that. Does he accept this resume or does he reject it? So... Luke 18, verses 9 through 17. This is God's word. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself be exalted. Let me pray for us. Father, would you show us um, who we are in this parable? Would you show us what we need to see? Uh, would you humble us? And would you show us the lamb that you've provided for us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's the setting here? We're told that there are these two guys that have gone up to the temple to pray. It seems likely that they've gone during one of the two set times for prayer and for worship. Two times a day, a sacrifice of atonement was made, morning and evening, and the congregation was normally present. 
So there's two guys have gone up to participate in that. It's, it's very likely in the midst of worship, around the time of the morning or the evening sacrifice, it's certainly at that place where the sacrifice was all offered. Um, imagine, if you think about that, that each day at Grace, we sacrificed lambs twice a day. Right? Imagine you showed up here and you had, to, you had to bring a lamb and we sacrificed that lamb and we all gathered together to, to pray and to worship God during those times. Imagine that you're coming and you know that that's going on. You know it's time to worship and you're going you're gonna to pray while you're there. What would you say? What would you say to God? What, what words would come out of your mouth? Look at what these guys said. Look at verse 9 again. First of all, the Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisee in verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. Uh, in those days, there were people who were known as associates, and they were the people who kept the law very strictly. There were also people who were known as simply the people of the land who weren't so strict about all the ceremonial observances of the law. They weren't so strict about the ritual rules about cleanliness. They weren't careful about tithing. If someone who was an associate uh, bumped into someone who was known as the people of the land, he would become unclean. And so the Pharisee has probably walked into the worship service and he's standing over to the side because he doesn't want to come into contact with any of these people who are unclean. Uh, imagine if you've come in for prayer and you see someone in a three-piece suit, well-respected in the community, someone who you know gives a lot of money, someone who fasts on a regular basis, and he's going up for prayer, but he stands away from everybody because he doesn't want to sit by those people, whoever those people are. He's standing off to the side, and he's standing up to pray. And notice he doesn't offer any thanksgiving to God. He doesn't even really ask God for anything. He just gives one of those prayers that preachers are guilty of sometimes, honestly, that's, that's really just a sermon. You're like, I don't know if he's praying or preaching right now. Um, he's pretty obviously preaching in this prayer, preaching to the people next to him. And the first thing he does is he compares his resume to other people. And he says, you know what? Mine's better. Mine is definitely better. I'm not like them. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm certainly not like him. I am not like that tax collector. I don't go to the places they go. I don't engage in that type of behavior. I don't associate with sinners. I'm not like them. And so the first thing the Pharisee shows us is what's not on his resume. But then he turns around and he shows us what is on his resume. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. And what he's doing basically, he's saying, I go above and beyond what the law requires. The law says fast once a year that I'm going to do it twice a week. I'm even going to tithe off the money I save every time I go to Ingalls. And they say, you save $5.58. I'm going to, I'm going to tithe 
off of that. Now, obviously he liked himself, uh, but he didn't understand himself and he didn't really understand God. But we're going to come back to that. What about the tax collector? What about his prayer? Look at him in verse 13. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, this guy is the picture of a broken and humbled sinner who doesn't even feel worthy to stand in the presence of God or stand in the presence of his people. He's heard God's word and, and, and he gets it. He sees his sin. He's too ashamed to look up to heaven. He's too ashamed to lift his hands in prayer. He is a tax collector employed by the Roman oppressors. He more than likely would charge whatever the market would bear and everybody hated him for it. He was a robber. He was a traitor. And there was no way he could pay every back what he, everybody back what he owed. There's probably no way he could find everybody to pay them back what he had owed. He has no resume to offer to God. And he knows it. And so he stands and he beats his breath, which is a sign of extreme anguish and sorrow. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is who I am. Have mercy to me, on me, a sinner. Literally, it says, be sinner. Have mercy on me, the sinner. He spent his whole life lying, stealing, storing up treasures on earth, living for pleasure instead of living for God. And then God begins to convict him of his sin. And he cries out to God, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. He comes to God empty-handed. He doesn't offer any excuses. He doesn't try to compare himself to somebody else and say, well, at least I'm better than them. He doesn't try to find references who will say something good about him. He simply says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Now, there's something about God and something about ourselves that we've got to understand. The Pharisee didn't understand this, but the tax collector did. The Pharisee didn't understand the full extent of the demands of God's law. Uh, God says about his law, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Uh, I, I use this illustration frequently, but we, we tend to think of the law as, as a window with like multiple panes. And we think, well, I've well, only broken like this one down in this bottom corner and said, so I'm probably good. And what James is saying is like, no, the, the law is like a window that's just one big pane of glass. And if you've broken it, you've broken it. The window is broken. You've broken God's law. So the Pharisee didn't understand the full extent of the man's of God's law. He also didn't understand that it's about your heart. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says basically, hey, I'm glad you haven't physically committed adultery, but what about the lust in your eyes? I'm glad you haven't literally killed anybody. That's good, but what about the murder in your heart? What about the fact that you love money more than you love God? What about the fact that we look down on people of other races and cultures and socioeconomic groups clinging to our constructed righteousness? The Pharisee didn't understand what a sinless God expected of him. 
he's kind of like somebody who's supposed to be climbing Mount Everest and he went to Camp Croft and he did the Dairy Ridge Trail and he got to the top of it. He's like, I made it, I made it to the top. And God's like, you have no idea. You have no idea. He didn't understand what he was supposed to be doing. He didn't understand the demands of the law. And so he didn't understand his own sinfulness. He didn't see how he broke God's law every day. And because he didn't see all this, he thought he had something to actually offer to God. God, here's my resume. And he thinks he's handing God this list of his stunning achievements. And he really is handing him a piece of paper that the dog has thrown up on. He had nothing to offer God. Now, the, the crazy thing about that is that he's doing this in the middle of a place where a lamb was being sacrificed in order to show him that he was a sinner. And you've gotten to wonder what he thought the lamb was all about. You've got to wonder, ask yourself, how did he miss the obvious? But then you have to ask the question, how many people go to church week after week after week and miss the obvious? How many of us are confident in the resume that we are building? Look, God, I'm going to church. Look, God, I, I took communion and I, I, I did it the right way. Look, God, I'm not like those people. The Pharisee doesn't get it at all. But the tax collector does. He knew it. He couldn't make it at the top. He knew that even if he gave it his best effort, it wasn't nearly good enough because he saw the requirements of God's law and he knew that he, he couldn't measure up. There was no way. He's like, I'm not even going to play this game. And he says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Now, the phrase have mercy is interesting. The Greek word translated have mercy is the verb form of a noun which refers to an atoning sacrifice. So it's kind of like he was saying, God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. See, those lambs that were being offered were substitutes for people, for sinful people, who deserved to die. The people of God had broken the law of God, but here were these sacrifices being offered daily. They were being offered for anybody who would take hold of them by faith. And so the tax collector is saying, God, be merciful to me. God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. God, let those lambs count for me. The tax collector is saying, God, I've got nothing to offer you. But I see that sacrifice. And I need that sacrifice. Would you have mercy on me and pour your wrath out on that sacrifice and not on me? Now here's a question, whose resume did God accept? We asked at the very beginning, whose resume did God accept? Did he accept the Pharisees' resume? No. Did he accept the tax collector's? Actually, no, he didn't accept the tax collector's resume either. Now, it's obvious to us that he didn't accept the Pharisees' resume. We're told that he was not justified. He wasn't justified. To justify means to be declared righteous. It's mean to be declared in right standing with a judge. The Pharisee said, here's my resume. I'm not like him. I've done all this. You should accept me on the basis of this and declare me righteous. 
And God says, you don't understand at all. You haven't kept my law and you're not righteous and I'm not going to accept your resume. What about the tax collector? The text tells us he actually was justified. He was declared to be righteous. God said, I'm issuing a legal declaration that you are a keeper of my law. Now, how could he do that? Because he obviously hadn't. The tax collector doesn't ask God to accept his resume because he knows it's worthless. He's saying, you know what? I got nothing to offer him, to offer you, but I am going to trust in those sacrifices that you provided. I, I can't do anything about this, God. You've got to take care of this for me. What's he doing? He's looking away from his own resume and he's looking to the resume of the Lamb. John 1, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 3, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Did those lambs really help the tax collector? No, but they pointed to a lamb who could help him. They pointed to Jesus. They pointed him to the sacrifice. They pointed to the one who says, I will stand in and I will receive the wrath of God in your place and turn it away from you. Will you trust in what I've done? And the Pharisees said, essentially, I don't really see any need in that. And the tax collector said, absolutely. That's my only hope. Well, whose resume then did God accept? He accepted the resume of the lamb, the resume of his son. But the tax collector received that resume by faith when he placed his trust in the finished work of the lamb. So here's your choice. It's a very simple application today. You can... You've really got two choices. You can, for whatever reason, continue to trust in your own resume, or you can abandon that trust and trust in the resume of Jesus Christ. You can trust in your own performance, or you can trust in the performance of Jesus Christ. You can trust in your own righteousness, or you can trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can be like the tax collector and go home today as one who has been declared righteous. But you've got to quit trusting in yourself and trust instead in the resume of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you tonight may be in the shoes of the Pharisee and you need to be humbled. You need to see that you have absolutely nothing to offer to God. But some of you have been humbled. You've cried out to God for mercy. You've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ but you still keep struggling with your guilt. You still keep struggling with your poor performance. And you need to hear these words. You have been justified. It's past tense. It's done. It can't be undone. No charge can be brought against you. Jesus has turned the wrath of God away from you. And you are now God's child. And he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And so the invitation is to rest from your resume building, to stop 
and to rest in what Jesus Christ has done. Quit building resumes for yourself. Quit building resumes for other people. Quit building resumes for God. And simply rest in the finished work of the Lamb. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we confess we get, we get very busy with resume building. And so I pray that you would help us to see what Jesus has done. And that you would help us to lay our deadly doing down. And to rest in his finish and complete and final work. And as we do that, would you bring us great relief and great joy and great freedom and a great desire to share that good news with others. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.